All right, John chapter number 10 and starting in verse number 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another day you've given to us. And Lord, as we look at this important truth of eternal security, Lord, help us to understand the Word of God. It's not what man says, it's what you say. Uh, Lord, help us to understand the truths and apply them to our hearts and lives and understand that we can be secure in you for eternity. And Lord, so thank you for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's uh, hard to believe, but uh, just over 20 years ago now, I started in full-time Christian ministry. Before that, I was uh, serving in different capacities. Uh, I uh, took a position uh, once I graduated from uh, Bible College as a youth assistant pastor in the church I grew up in, uh, Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. And previous to that, I had worked in church ministries with children, youth, uh, youth ministries. I grew, grew up in a good Christian home. Uh, the church I attended as a kid, as a teenager, and then I assisted in, uh, is a good church, a good solid church even to this day. Praise the Lord for that. And in all those contexts, I was taught, rightfully so, that once you are saved, you are secure in Jesus Christ. That didn't change. So I was taught that in all those places, and obviously in Bible College as well. And uh, when we started Humber Valley Baptist Church in Deer Lake, Newfoundland, we encountered two uh, large misteachings, false teachings, that they, it wasn't just for Deer Lake, it's everywhere. Uh, the first one was the uh, misinterpretation of the rapture and end times events, uh, and uh it's, they're just off, and that's rampant today, but we confronted that there, and uh, actually I've confronted that in every ministry I've been involved with. And then the second one was the teaching of in, uh, insecure eternity, or lack of eternal security. It just wasn't available, that's what they said. And uh, I remember one time going with my wife to visit a lady who had attended our church. She came and checked us out and things, and was asking some questions, and uh, she asked us to come over uh, for a cup of tea, not a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, all right? That, that's what we do in Newfoundland. We have a cup of tea. And so we went over there, and she asked some more questions about the church and things. I was happy to ask, uh, answer those. And then it wasn't so much a question. It was a statement of why did we believe in eternal security? It wasn't what led you to that. Is why do you do that? It was very... Uh, that's, I can't believe you believe that. So uh, I took the, the Bible and showed her some Bible verses and said, this is what we believe. And uh, my wife uh, was there and she added a few words of encouragement. And this lady came unglued. Unglued. I mean, she was figuratively and, and literally spitting mad. 
And uh, if it was today, she'd be charged for trying to spread COVID. You know, she was spitting everywhere. She was speaking very moistly, shall we say. And uh, she was so upset. Uh, and she said some things that we won't repeat. But at any rate, uh, I was just like, why would you not want to believe this awesome truth? Why, why would you want to stay insecure when you can't be secure in Christ? Uh, I, I couldn't understand that. And uh, she kind of hustled us out of the house and uh, slammed the door in good effect. She might have slammed it twice. I can't remember for sure now, but she never came back to church. Uh, a little of time later, I was uh, out visiting, uh, a little bit more rural. I mean, Deer Lake's not a big urban place, but I mean, this was even more rural. Uh, you could drive for miles between houses type of thing, a little bit more farmland. And I was out there handing out invitations to our church and just trying to make contacts and things. And I came across this family... They were out doing some things on their farm, whatever, and came up and invited them out to church, gave them a track, an invitation to our church, and uh, they were quite excited. And uh, they were Christians, gave me their testimony, absolutely, uh, sounded absolutely right. Uh, I don't know the man's heart, or anybody's heart for that matter, uh, but gave me a good testimony, and we started talking about things, and the eternal security came up. And uh, I stated my position, I said that, you know, in Christ, and I talked about this very verse. I brought this very verse to the attention. And that's, this individual looked at me and said that no man can take them out of the Father's hand, but I can take myself out. That's what he said to me. And um, I made the remark that, maybe a little bit too flippantly, that uh, you must be greater than God then to take yourself out. The conversation went really frosty after that. And I beat a hasty retreat to my car and took off. Uh, but the reality is no one, no one's greater than God. Amen? No one. No one can remove uh, themselves from God. Eternal security is a biblical truth. Absolutely biblical. And uh, from my observation, I see people who have that lack of eternal security. It produces some things. It produces a weak Christian. And it definitely produces an insecure Christian. An insecure Christian does not have the same confidence as one who is secure knowing that they're in the hand of God forever. There's some byproducts to it. And I want to kind of examine some things and where it came from uh, and just encourage you in this important realm of eternal security. So the scene that's laid out for us in verse 22, we see uh, that Jesus is in Jerusalem. This took place to several... Uh, Months after the Feast of Tabernacles when he was in uh, Jerusalem and he gave the discourse on the sheep and the good shepherd. Now it's winter. It says that in verse 22. It's winter. He returns to Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedications. So it's like December, let's say, in our calendar year. It was the eighth day of the festival uh, of the Judas uh, Maccabees. Because in, in Maccabees in 1664, sorry, 164 A.D., uh, cleansed the temple after the Greek uh, leader, uh, leader Antigus Epiphanes. Now, we looked at him a little bit on Sunday nights in our study in Daniel, uh, and it was good to see that he, how it all came together. It wasn't good what he did. He did something very wrong, very wicked. And historically, this event is a, a predecessor to the modern-day observance of Hanukkah. I think we've all heard of Hanukkah. And so it's a... The, Pre-sister uh, of that, and that usually takes place in uh, late November, early December, or late up to late December, depending on their calendar, which is a little different than ours. And in verse 23, it says that Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. 
So Solomon's porch was the only portion of the temple that escaped the destruction by the Babylonians. Back when they took Daniel, right at that time, to Daniel then to uh, Babylon. Uh, that's, this is the only part of the structure that was salvageable. It, it didn't wasn't totally destroyed. Uh, so the new temple that was built brought that into its context. And um, it was there to protect from the elements. It was a porch. You think of a porch, it gives you some protection, right? As long as it's not blowing the wrong way and blowing you right into the porch area, you can stand out on your porch and the rain will come down and you won't get wet. All right, so the same idea. And uh, listen, it does snow over there, uh, over there in Jerusalem area. My parents, when I was about, I don't know, six or seven, went to Israel in January uh, for a trip and uh, to see the Holy Lands and Egypt and Jordan and things. And I remember them taking pictures and showing us when they got back, they were throwing snowballs at each other just outside of Jerusalem. I mean, the snow had fallen, all right? So it did happen there, not like we have here, uh, but this is where uh, this was taking place. So just a little spot to get in out of the weather. So that's the sea, and this is where it's taking place. And then the Lord gives them a little bit of a sermon telling him, uh, well, they came to him asking about who Christ is, and then he gives them a bit of a sermon. Uh, the Jewish leadership were not coming uh, after, they, they were sorry, they were coming after the Lord. They weren't wanting him as Lord, they were coming after him. They weren't actually considering him to be Lord, the Messiah. They wanted him to declare that, and then they would take him and bring him to Pilate and uh, have him uh, try for insurrection or whatever way they could accuse him. That's what they were looking for. Jesus knew what these wicked men were up to. He knew what they were doing. He understood the context of what they were trying to accomplish. And let me give you a little bit of encouragement that the Lord knows what wicked men do today. And there's, we see our world today and there's so much wickedness and sometimes we get frustrated. I know I do that wicked men do not get, for lack of a better word, they're just desserts or they don't get in trouble like they should. I mean, us average Joes would be in so much trouble if that happened to us. Hey, listen, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. And he's a righteous judge and he'll take care of things the proper way. Verses 25 to 30. The Lord lays it out. I told you, and you believe not, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus lays out the blessed assurance of every believer, for every believer, for all, for any, back then who believed, now and in the future. The eternal life. The Good Shepherd has given us eternal life. Eternal life is forever. It's forever. That's not hard to figure out. You don't have to have a great deal of learning or education to figure that out. Eternal life does not last till we sin. It does not last till we doubt. does not last until or fades away when we have times of weakness and we fall into sin or we aren't keeping our relationship up to date with the Lord as we should. No, those things have nothing to do with eternal life because eternal life has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ paid the price, amen? He took care of it for eternity. Word usage is always important, isn't it? It's always important. 
Jesus did not say, I will give them eternal life someday. I won't, he didn't say, I'll give them eternal life if they're behaving themselves. No, he says, I give them eternal life. It's immediate. Once we accept Christ as Savior, we are having eternal life. It's, it's, it's a done deal. And, and on top of that, he says, then they shall never perish. So not only is eternal life, he puts an added bonus to saying you'll never perish. Now, I understand we'll die in the physical realm. We will that way, yes, pass into eternity, but we'll never perish. Uh, those who claim eternal security is wrong, you know what they have to do? They really have to battle with the Word of God. And that's a horrible thing to do, to be battling the Word of God. Uh, you should never have to do that. The Lord, in terms easily understood, says a believer shall never perish. The believer has eternal security. It's crystal clear. And it's kind of forceful, don't you think? This wasn't like, well, maybe you have... It. No, you have eternal life and you shall never perish. You're part. You're in. I mentioned earlier, family said that they can take themselves out. They use that latter paragraph of verse 28 to prove that. And the Lord is referring to himself as the shepherd. He's done it in the previous verses as well. The shepherd, without a doubt, had the ability to protect against the wolf, uh, the uh, uh, bear or whoever else would come. He had the ability to do it. And you know that he would protect against the thief as well. His strong hand will take care of that. And listen, the shepherd will protect its sheep from itself as well, would he not? Absolutely, he would protect the sheep. If the sheep was going to do something nasty to himself, he would step in. And so the same idea, the Lord is taking care of us. Uh, he's there to help us. He's there to take care of us. And it's a wonderful thing to know. And it should bring us great joy, should bring us great confidence as a believer. Uh, Romans 8.38 is a wonderful verse. And I would encourage you to be well familiar with it. So it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a great verse? Actually, it's two verses, 38 and 39. There's nothing that separates us from God. It's not possible. There's nothing out there that can do that. Impossible. And in verses 30 and uh, 31, Jesus implies that he and the Father are one in unity and purpose and and character. And he does declare his deity. In verse 31, it says, And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. The the Jewish leadership, they were pretty upset about this. They were opposing him, and they they were going to do away with him right now. Uh, A few verses later, we're not going to look at that. It's not part of the message this morning, that he did escape their hands, and even though they sought him. This portion of Scripture provides evidence that God's plan for us, for all believers, is a biblical plan. It's one He has thought out and is one He means. God's Word is real. It's true. God's plan is for all believers to have eternal security. It's there. You accept Christ as Savior, you're eternally secure in His hands. You know, God's plan for men, for sinful men, is kind of simple. We're guilty for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. You know that. We've all sinned. We're guilty. And guilt has earned us a wage, right? For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 Christ died in our place. He made peace through the blood of His cross in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. 
we need to admit that we're guilty. We trust in Christ when we do that. Uh, Romans uh, ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We we put our faith and trust in Christ. We we admit that we are, and when we're declared not guilty, First John one nine. If we confess our fa- sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's plan. It's simple. It's able to be understood. Yet there's those who would choose to argue you on it. How is that possible? Why would you want to do that? I think it's good for us to examine the source. The source. Where did this all come from? This position of one losing salvation. Now, this is not tied into John chapter 10. This is a little bit more history at this moment. This position of losing one's salvation is tied in, without a doubt, into Armenian theology. Uh, Jacobus Arminus was a Dutch Reformed theologian who lived in the 16th century. And he was at odds with the Calvinistic teachings that were taking place. Now, I agree with Jacobus. I'm against Calvinism as well. But he went uh, way too far. On one point, he went way too far. Uh, And uh, I'll give you some of his teachings. So, Calvinist has the tulip and the five points. Armenian came up with, Jacobus came up with five points as well. Free will. I agree with that. Every man has free will. Yep, we agree with that. Conditional election. God knows who will and will not be saved because he knows all who will respond to his call because he is God. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yep. Unlimited atonement. Jesus died for everyone, even those who don't believe. I like Jacob. I think he's right. He's right on that. And he has another one called uh, resistible grace. God calls people to be saved, but they can resist and they can reject. I agree with that too. The last point is the major problem, and that's why I'm not an Arminianist. Conditional salvation. Christians lose their salvation if they continue to live in a life of sin or fall away from God. That's what they teach. They teach that they, the Christian, has to maintain their salvation. It's their responsibility to keep salvation. Not that Jesus Christ paid for it all. Jesus paid for salvation, but if you mess up, you're out. Now, that's not exactly how he would put it. But that's the uh, general gist of the teaching. That's a problem. That's not right. I just showed you from verses from God's Word in John chapter 10 that that's not right, and other verses as well. Uh, and uh, modern-day Arminianism falls within the realm of evangelicalism. So there's probably churches that you know about that teach this doctrine. Uh, I'll tell you some, uh, Church of Nazarene, Wesleyan churches and other denominations, uh, Christian Holiness Association. I don't, I didn't go check on all of them. There's no way. I'm not, I don't have time for that. Uh, but that's just some of them that believe that way. Now, it's just not, uh, Arminian issue either. Uh, the Calvinists have some issues with this as well. They, they say, well, God's chose you. John Piper, one of their great, uh, speakers, uh, has said you can embrace a system of theology and not even be born again. So their problem is you don't know if they actually are saved. That, so that's not much of eternal security because I could say I'm saved. I, I, I accepted Christ as Savior, but I'm not one of the, those chosen from wrath. Then how can I have eternal security? Can you, so it's a little bit different in ter, eternal, lack of eternal security, but it still can produce insecurity. Because how do I know? I've read other Calvinists who say, you know, you could be self-deceiving yourself. Oh my goodness, talk about insecurity. Self-deceiving yourself that I'm saved. Oh my. 
So there, there's some issues here. And before I go any further, we are not Arminius here, and we're not Calvinists at Legacy Baptist Church. We strive to do what the Bible says. Amen? That's the goal. Biblicists. That's what we try to do. Uh, and uh, I'm not too concerned about following a guy, John Calvin or Jacob Arminium. Uh, no, I want to make sure I'm trying to follow the Word of God the best that we can. That's the that's the deal. And let me encourage you to do that. And listen, I got family members on both sides of this. I still love them. This is not a go out there and beat them over the head with the Bible. Let, let's just, just show them God's love, amen, and try to win them that way. Uh, but at any rate, uh, so that that's that's the source of this. Okay, so the solution. What's the solution? How do we fix this? So uh, I've tried to fix things at my house. I'm not a really good fixer. I'm way better at breaking. I remember watching a YouTube video about how to install the water ice machine in a new fridge. And man, I thought I had that thing down. Uh, did it all right. It ran for a while. Went out for the day, came home, my house is totally blacked out. I'm like, what's that? I knew I turned the lights on and got in the house and found the basement was flooded. The water was shooting out of the pipe right into my electrical box. I mean, I did a great job in destroying. That wasn't my choice. That wasn't my design. But listen, as individual believers, we need to know what the solution. We, there's a problem. What does the Bible have to say? What does the Bible say about this situation? What does the Bible teach about that? The solution is the truth. The truth. And the Word of God is truth. The Word of God is truth. If our salvation is not secure, how could Jesus say to those, they shall never perish? How could He say that? Even if one man or if one woman uh, received eternal life and then somehow forfeited Jesus Christ is a liar, and Jesus Christ is not a liar. He is who He is. He's the Son of God, perfect, sinless. His Word can be trusted. And most people who have trouble with this doctrine of eternal security, they struggle with a number of passages from Hebrews. So I'm going to ask you to turn over there. Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. And we're going to read in verse number 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a, a certain fearful looking uh, for a judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be through worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God, who have counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified a holy thing, and done the Spite unto the spirit of grace. Now, it's a terrible thing for a person who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to fall away from the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about losing salvation, but a backsliding, getting so far from the Lord that they trample, literally trample, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That saved them. That's a horrible thing. Nowhere in this passage... Does it say a person is now lost or was never saved in the first place? I've heard that counter as well. Well, they were never saved. We need to understand that this Christian will face God's chastening. 
Uh, even to the point of physical death. Listen, there's other portions of Scripture that tells us about Christians who have done wickedly, who have done wickedly, and God has removed them from the presence of that local church. So you, you can't use the example that, well, you, they backslide, they're no longer Christians. No, they did wickedly, and now they sleep, or the Lord took them. That occurred in the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, it says, For this cause many, many are weak and sickly among you. They are abusing the Lord's Supper. That's sin. That's not in the right context. They weren't in the right place. They were in a backslidden state. They weren't doing right. And many sleep. Hey, that's evidence that God does what He says. You do what's wrong. You trample underfoot what I've done. You're still my child, but I'll take you out of this world. I'll take you to heaven. Now, there's, there's serious and terrible repercussions for that. And that I mean, that was for that particular sin, uh, but just the whole idea of getting away from the Lord. And there's probably other ones uh, in Corinthian church. wasn't. We know there was other things they were into that weren't right. Another passage they used over in Hebrews chapter number 6. Hebrews chapter number 6 and verse number 4. Now, this one here has been used with me numerous times, to be honest. The Hebrews 10, not as much, but this one in Hebrews chapter number 6 is pretty well used for those uh, trying to prove that you can lose your salvation. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of the Lord and the powers of the word, world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeking their, uh, they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to open shame. For the earth shall, which drinketh in rain that cometh up upon it and bringeth forth herbs must, are meat, uh, for them by whom it is addressed, receiving blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected as nigh unto cursing, and whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded of better things of you, and the, the things that accompany salvation through, though, through we thus speak. So you read that real quick, you're like, oh my goodness. That, that's, that sounds, you know, the word salvation is not mentioned in that portion of scripture. It's no lot, it never says you lose your salvation. This passage is definitely directed to ones enlightened who taste the heavenly gift and partakers of the Holy Ghost. Uh, these are individuals who are saved. Uh, you can't partake of the Holy Ghost uh, unless you know Christ the Savior, but you're not in the flesh in Romans 8, 9, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of it, us. This, so this is absolutely directed towards believers. There is no doubt. If You might read some commentators, I have, that try to change this all up, that this is not referring to Christians. They're wrong. It is referring if you say it's not, then you're tossing about other scripture verses in God's word. These are people who are indwelt by the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. The moment a person believes in Jesus Christ, they are sealed. We believe that. Sealed until when? When are they sealed unto? The day of redemption. What is it? Is there a sealed unto the sin again? No, are they sealed until they fall away? No, unto the day of redemption. Redemption is when we're out of this place with the Lord. We're redeemed. Forever. It doesn't change. And what's meant by impossible? Renew them again to repentance. 
Does that mean they can lose their salvation or does it mean something else? Uh, notice it does not say it's impossible to renew them again to salvation because you don't can't renew again. Once you're saved, you're always saved. All right, that that is not possible. The weak, the Greek word to fall away means to stumble or fall alongside. And I really thought it was interesting. The last two verses I read, verse eight, talks about those whose end is to be burned. That's not them themselves being burned. But look in verse number three. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Though through we thus speak, though we thus speak, what what accompanies salvation? What comes along with salvation? You get saved, and you work. That's a complement of salvation. Is your works what you do for Christ? Okay, that that goes hand in hand. Uh, falling away does not mean a falling from eternity into eternal life, heaven into hell, but rather falling away what we should have been doing. And the results are: we'll lose out. We'll lose the burning, the loss of rewards, the the loss of fruit. Hey, listen, you get away from God here on this earth. If you don't serve Christ as you should, you get away from Him, you trample on His blood under your foot, you don't have peace. Not the peace of Jesus Christ. Oh, you could fill it with things of this world, but you don't have the peace that God can give you. Oh, you're still part of the family of God, there's no doubt. And you'll be saved, yes, and though by fire, you won't have anything to lay at Jesus' feet. You won't have anything. You'll, it'll be lost. We've got to stand before the Lord in judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I mean, how sad it will be to get to heaven and we won't have much or we won't have any. And if we trample on the blood, if we get away from the Lord, if we don't do as we should, we lose out. The world would have you think that you gain. That's what the world would have you think. That's the philosophy of our enemy, the adversary. The reality is we serve Christ, we gain. We gain. And that the first Corinthians three fifteen, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall be suffer so suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Yet another verse affirming eternal security. You can live a bad, you, you can live horribly, like, not like you should, like you know you shouldn't, and, and be away from the Lord. You'll still be saved, but, my goodness, wouldn't that be horrible anguish to get to heaven and realize I haven't done anything for the one who saved me? That's horrible. And who, who would want that for a reward for eternity? Nothing. Nothing to lay at Jesus' feet. This loss is not the loss of salvation. I believe, firmly believe the loss of rewards. Burned up in the fire, as talked about in other portions of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 3.15, and in the judgment in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Live your life knowing that there's eternal security in Christ, and there is eternal consequences for how you live for Christ. And there's real consequences there is real. And you might say, oh, I don't see anything right now and someone I know. But there is real consequences in drifting away, in following away from the Lord, stumbling in the side, as the word means. Believer, we are no longer in condemnation, though. 
And these verses that I give affirming our eternal security do not affirm that you can live the way you want outside the will of God. You know, that lady I mentioned earlier, she really struggled with that. The one who got really mad at us. She preconceived that if that's true, eternal security is true, you can live any way you want. And I tried to refute that. It's like, no, we need to live the way that God told us to do and should live. But she couldn't get past that. We're not condemned. Uh, Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation in them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after flesh, but after the Spirit. Listen, we, we're not condemned anymore. But if we turn away from Christ, we turn away from our Savior and do our own thing, we forfeit that joy and peace that we can have in our lives. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, can't, I cannot tell you how many believers I have met, and I'm thinking of some right now, who have turned away from the Lord, and they have no peace, and they have no joy. None. Oh, they might act like it, and they act... As a pastor, they... You know, I come around, they're all, oh, yeah, pastors, oh, great. And then I hear things other people, and they tell me that they're suffering with this, or this is happening, or whatever. Hey, the only place you're going to find joy and happiness is in Christ Jesus. That's it. And as a believer, you're away from Him, you're not going to find it. You know, you're still part of the family, absolutely. Hey, we probably, hey, the prodigal son is an example. There's, there's people and families who know the truth, accept the Christ Savior, and they're out doing their thing, living in the world. Hey, we need to live for Christ. We won't have that abundant life in John chapter 10, verse 10, that Christ wants for us if we won't follow Christ. If we won't follow what He's laid out for us. The believer who begins to drift from the Word of God, the believer who begins to drift from the Word of God will soon doubt the Word of God. He won't stay close. He drift away from it, then you'll doubt it. And then you'll be dulled you don't really believe it. you got some doubts about it. And maybe this isn't true. And, and maybe this is okay. And guess what? You've got to, you don't really have much of a spiritual walk. You're extremely lazy. But you're still part of the family of God. But you're, you're not following the Lord as you should. Galatians 5.16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This verse is teaching us the... I hate that we use the word secret because there is no secret thing in the Word of God, but it is the key for us to reach potential in our lives. And it's quite simple. Walk according to the Word. That's what it says. Walk according to the Word. Now listen, our life is not a short sprint, is it? It's a marathon. A lifelong marathon. You know, I I watch some of these guys not recently, but in the past, who run these marathons and they look like energizer bunnies. Like, they don't stop running. And it just looks like they're, this is not hard. I mean, I run from upstairs downstairs. I'm like, help me. You know? The reality is these guys run miles, 25, 27, 28, whatever the official marathon is. I think it's 25. But at any rate, you know, they just run and they run and they run and you know, I get tired watching them on TV, and I'm not doing anything. You know, the reality is that, that our life is a marathon. It doesn't just, it's not a short sprint. It's a lifelong series of battles and struggles, and we understand, we need to understand that our victory is going to come through Jesus Christ, amen? It's through Him. We need to look to Him, but thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
That's where we get the victory. It's not us coming up with some schemes. It's, it's not anything that we can concoct. It's not what a church can do. I mean, a church needs to be encouraging and preach the Word of God. Yes, yes, yes. But it comes down to the individual relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it comes down to, believer. You need to have a good fellowship with the Lord. You need to be in that spot. Eternal life is exactly that. Eternal life. It cannot be lost. It cannot be lost. Drinking once of the living water and you will never thirst for eternal life again. Remember that message I preached about the lady at the well, the Samaritan lady? The Lord said, drink once and you'll never thirst again. So was the Lord lying? Absolutely not. He was telling the truth. Drink once and you'll never thirst again. We still have an old nature that battles us, who doesn't want to do right for the Lord, who questions us, who gets us to doubt. So it's very critical. It's absolutely necessary. It is vital that we stay close fellowship with Christ. We need that. And walking in the Spirit daily. And when we mess up, we get it right. And we move forward. You know, just back to the idea of this losing salvation. I've heard so many people talk about it. And I'll ask them, so what sin makes you lose your salvation? And I've come across so many different categories. Listen, if we could lose your salvation, don't you think Christ would have said something about it in the New Testament? Absolutely. It's not true. Because Christ died once for all for eternity. That's what he did. That's what he absolutely did. There's a strong word here for us as believers, not to fall away, not to get in a backslidden state. There's some very serious consequences. Can you imagine getting to heaven and have absolutely nothing to show for your Savior? You're like, oh, that's eternity. Yeah, that's eternity. That means forever. That should be a motivational factor for us as believers. This is not temporal. This is for eternity. And I would urge you, believer, if, if that's a tendency in your heart, you know that something's not right, get it right today. Correct it today. And the Lord won't, the Lord won't say, well, you've been bad for 14 days now. I'm not going to have you back. It could be 14 years. Hey, the Lord says, come on back. Let's get, let's get that fellowship renewed. You're, you've always been part of my family, but you've been away from me. I, the Lord has not moved. You have come back. And get that fellowship renewed once again. Believer, our, our salvation and the realization of what the Lord has done for us should be a huge factor in us serving Him. And we should love Him. We should desire to serve Him. We never need to fear. I'll be honest. I have never feared going to bed at night or waking up in the morning like, oh, the Lord removed me from the, from His house, from His fold, from His throne room. Nope, I'm secure. Absolutely secure for eternity. The one I never need to fear, the one who rescued me, I never fear him recusing me. Get out. You're done. And you need never fear it. Because the Word of God says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time we've had to be in your Word. And Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts. Help us. As individual believers, be living for you. Uh, we have seen some serious consequences for not 
serving you. And Lord, help us to make sure we're on the right path, that we are following you. We never have to fear losing our salvation because we are secure in you and what you did on Calvary's cross is good for eternity, for every man, woman, child. But Lord, we should be motivated to live right. Help us. We are sinners. We're dealing with a fleshly nature and we need your constant encouragement and correction. Help us. And I pray, Lord, that beginning here this morning, don't know you as Savior, that they would understand their need of this eternal life. 